You are listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. One of Us is a podcast and video network funded all but entirely by donations and subscriptions. We do accept pitches for audio-based or banner ads, but on a case-by-case basis. If you are interested in that, contact us at oneofusnet at gmail.com. With the amount of audio and video content we generate, it is expensive and extremely time-consuming to keep things running. Please go to the webpage oneofus.net and sign up for a subscription at 2 5 10 or $25 and get a ton of bonus content. One of us needs and appreciates all your support. The Deliberations of Doom crew were in a comedy horror film, and it was a final, not necessarily girl, because, you know, all things being equal, (laughs) but movie, what would our roles be in terms of, like, the iconic, like, character archetypes in a horror film? I'm just curious, because I feel like I am the fool. (laughs) I'm I'm the fool, the jokester, the, the, maybe not the stoner, but sure, why not the stoner? <laughs> if, if we go by Breakfast Club rules, I'm, I think I would probably be the basket case. Oh, are you the basket case? Oh, man, case? I was going to call basket case <laughs> oh, in that one. <laughs> so, somewhere between stoner and basket case, the one who takes no bullshit, but is full of weirdness and quirky goodness. That's fair. Yeah, I'm the murderer. I mean, I mean the best friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're the, you're give away the reveal, why don't you? Jeez, it was uh, Alan. He killed us all. Definitely not the soft-hearted jog, for sure. Not, that's not me. Yeah, I don't think that qualifies for any of us here. <laughs> we don't have that person on Deliberations of Doom anymore. <laughs> no, no, I play volleyball. Is that, a, is that you, enough of a I play volleyball. Sport? I used to be motherfucker at volleyball, man. I yeah. was a badass. Yeah. Until that, until that one day that I hit the ball just wrong where my fingers were like locked oh, and it uh, fractured yeah. my finger. And Nuh-uh. I was like, yeah, yeah, I hit too hard. And I was like, oh, and then I was like, I'm not playing volleyball anymore. <laughs> I don't like being hurt by things, you yeah. know, which well. is why I'm the, the Franz Kranz character. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that brings us into the new episode of Deliberations of Doom, the third part of our comedy horror series. Let me introduce the crew. I am Chris Cox joining me is I'm just Drew. Oh, uh, now you're doing that yeah. too. You're just Drew. I just I, I, I like I like just Drew. I'm Drew Blood. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I can't believe that you haven't used that online. Oh, I have like a, because the, in, uh, when I worked for Fangoria Radio, that was our, that was when I called in as a fan before I actually started working for them. That was my name. Like everybody wanted a horror moniker. The, right. You call and so in. you went with Drew Blood. Yeah, yeah. And it's also a garbage pill kid, I believe. Yeah, that makes sense. And? I continue to be Madeline Fontenot. <laughs> She's not changing her name for anybody because her name's too cool. Fucking right? Yeah. I mean, final girl in the making right here with that name. And? Dick Warlock. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, Alan. <laughs> for that reference back to a previous Deliberations of Doom episode in this series. Man, we are fully in the 2000s now. And I'm probably more excited about this list because... And then any of the three ones, because I really 100% love all three of these films, but they couldn't be more different in terms of the comedy, in terms of the horror. And where we're starting here, man, 2011's Cabin in the Woods, and okay, I get it, Joss Whedon, 
who was a <laughs> major hero of mine at one point, because Buffy the Vampire Slayer was just a gigantic deal for me. Firefly, Firefly was a gigantic deal for me. I was like, this guy's oh. one of the best genre comedy writers working, and nobody disagreed with that at the Fuck time, yeah. right? He was amazing. Now we found out that maybe he wasn't such a nice guy. Maybe he was, and not even maybe, he was a huge fucking douchebag to people, very misogynist, even though he was a self-styled, I'm a male feminist and all my stuff is about male feminism. Well, if you have to talk about it that much, it's probably a problem. Yeah, if you have to keep saying that, <laughs> maybe there's some dark, dirty secrets. And in fact, there were. So I hate that, especially more so for Bu than with Buffy and Firefly for his film Cabin in the Woods, because even though he didn't direct it, he wrote, he co-wrote it, uh, with Drew Goddard and they wrote it in three days, which is Fuck. amazing. Like, how did you write a script this tight, this funny, this clever, this... Like, this is the reinvention of meta. Like, Scream invented meta horror, more or less. This was like, now we're reinventing it again uh, for a whole new generation. Which 2.0. Everything that's happened since Cabin in the Woods and meta, meta horror is influenced by uh, Cabin in the Woods. No, Like, for me, no question. Goddard got his start writing for Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Angel, uh, also Alias, and Lost, two other shows I really, really dug at the time. But he also wrote some of the drafts, early drafts for Cloverfield, World War Z, and The Martian. He created Daredevil for Netflix. Badass. I mean, this is a guy with an amazing resume. Uh, the only other film he directed, though, was Bad Times at the El Royale in 2018, which I believe, Alan, you love. Yeah, I really liked that. I did not care. I didn't, it. like, love it, but I liked it. I've never bit. gone back and rewatched it because there were a bunch of people. I think that was a Fantastic Fest. Yeah, right? it was a Fantastic Fest. But people, so more people than not were like, I love it. And I was like, I don't, is something wrong with me? Because I didn't dig this really at all. But so I, I feel like it's due for a rewatch. I liked it because it really, it, it introduced me to Cynthia Erivo. I'm oh, so yeah. glad that she exists. The cast in the movie is indisputable. And it's, I think, I remember, because it was one of the bigger films at Fantastic Fest. I don't know if it was Closing Night. Wasn't film. Chris Hemsworth in that as well? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, I can't remember if it was Closing Night or if it was one of the bigger, or maybe it was a secret screening, but it was a lot of like anticipation. And the movie is good, but it feels, if it was just slotted as like a programmed film, I think expectations would have been more appropriate. Yeah. Uh, but it's hard not to hype it up because like Cabin of the Woods. Yeah. Here's the next one. And it's not quite Cabin in the Woods, but it is no. entertaining. Cabin in the Woods was, I mean, I have on my wall framed here that was given to me by a fan of Spill because I was so into this movie. Like, I, I just loved it so much. They gave me the very r rare, I'm told, poster, which is the M.C. Escher version of the poster, where it's like all the staircases going up and down and everything. It's true. I'm looking at it right now. I love it so much. It's one of my prized possessions. I, whatever. Whedon, yes. Let's say, fuck you, Whedon. But this movie unassailable masterpiece of comedy horror in my so opinion. fun i i think top five ever made like, yeah it's, it's it's one of the it's one of the like benchmarks you know the mount rushmore of comedy horrors like this Shaun of the dead evil dead 2 <laughs> fill in the fourth it's right, it's right it, in there it's yeah. a, it, it it really is like um especially it was hard it was this only been out for what 10 years or so 2011 yeah. so yeah like, uh, coming up on 11 years it's um it's hard to like canonize something so quickly. Mm -hmm. Um I remember when I first saw it it felt like it's something that's been like like the script has been in the vault of classic horror movies 
written like forever ago and it's finally getting its due now because it, it just felt immediately like classic like, yeah you knew when you finished watching it that like this is a film you're going to rewatch again and again and again Absolutely. you're going to recommend to everyone that you know that loves horror movies and even people you know who are just you know can watch horror films but like are not a big horror fan you're like this is the movie that's going to make you want to watch other horror films oh, well, that's that's the real testament to this movie i've my girlfriend's not super into horror movies. I have other friends who is like don't really care about genre in general. Don't have the tropes lo- locked in, you know. And so many horror comedies are about playing with tropes and expectations, which Kevin in the Woods definitely does. Mm-hmm. But the writing and the comedy, and like literally the writing, like the dialogue and the story and the characters, like the everything in the movie is um so good that it transcends that. Like without having to know the tropes, like. You get the funny, you get what's comedy, even if you don't know that, like, oh, that's like Hellraiser. Oh, that's yeah. like, like, you don't have to know all that stuff. Like, just understand that, oh, there's like an office, mundane office environment controlling yeah. these circumstances with these people. And everyone has the idea of like what a slasher cast looks like, even if you're not like entrenched. The idea that it mixed an office comedy with a, you know, everything horror. <laughs> I mean, initially, sort of like zombie slash Texas Chainsaw Massacre horror, but like, like the, it is an office comedy at the same time. I mean, it starts that way, and they've talked about, uh, the writers have talked about, that was our intent, because it starts with the two of the characters that, that are in the, the, the scenes that where everybody doesn't come into more till the end with uh, Bradley Whit- Whitford and Richard Jenkins. They're just office drones who are, like, driving down, like, corridors of, like, you know... Any given big institutionalized, like, Motorola-type facility, <laughs> like, bitching about work. And and their idea was, we want people to start this movie going, am I in the wrong movie? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes! That was, that was part of what I loved so much about it, was I hadn't really seen the trailers for it, and it was one of those movies, I thought it was going to be a normal horror movie, kind of like Evil Dead oh, or Mama or one you, of those things. Have you not seen this movie before? I had not. No, oh, I, I, it had existed for so long and I hadn't watched it because I was like, oh, it's going to be one of those. Oh. Just like it's a normal. I was so pleased. I am so glad I have finally seen it. You're going to rewatch it. Me. Oh, I will. So many I will times. show it to other people. You're I gonna love this movie. You're going to frame by frame this bitch because <laughs> it is one of those movies that you frame by frame to catch every last horror joke in it. And there was stuff watching it this time because I, I did, I did my research for the movie before I rewatched it. And I was like, Oh fuck. I didn't even know about some of the stuff where I'm like, Oh, and now I have to pause it and go through frame by frame to catch some of the stuff. Like there's a sequence towards the end where they show all the monsters the one of the things I, I never noticed one of them is just a giant kitten <laughs> i was like i never noticed that and i i of all people should have known that but the idea here is that after this initial opening sequence with the the office space jokes uh it follows a bunch of american college students uh very sort of uh, typical ish but you know maybe a little different because you get the idea they're a little smarter than the stereotypes here like Chris Hemsworth in a role that this came out after he broke big but it was filmed well before that he was okay. he was a nobody when this when this was made did it come out after the first thor i believe it came out after yeah, the first yeah cuz i remember i remember being yeah. at i know we're bringing up fantastic fest a lot but i remember being there and they had they had um, like lobby flyers for Cabin in the Woods, and yeah. it said it was coming out like February fifth, two thousand ten, or yeah. something. And it came out, you know, I think Friday the thirteenth, 
2012. April 13th, 2012. That was one of those movies where I noticed in a lot of like the IMDb stuff, it was made in 2011, but they released it specifically on April 13th of 2012. So these people, they, they're, they're like, all friends, and they're like and mysterious. The weirdest thing is like they got the one friend played by Franz Kranz, who is like this total, just absolute stoner guy. And I don't mean oh, casual man. stoner. I mean like intense stoner. Who you know when you meet him is like smoking a giant fucking metal bog in his car, and then he like crushes it down, and it just <laughs> looks like a coffee, like a coffee, portable coffee mug, Beautiful. which, by the way, was invented for this movie and was functional in both ways. Mm-hmm. Cost them $5,000 to make it, and Fuck they that. actually, it was usable as a bong and as a coffee mug, and it is in fact real, and you could use it to beat up zombies with. <laughs> Something you steal from the set. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, oh, well, there's a prop I'm really curious to know who owns today. But anyway, so they're like, oh, we are going out to uh, Chris Hemsworth's cousin's cabin in the woods as it were <laughs> and uh they were like okay we're doing this trip on the way they meet this guy who's this creepy ass guy at the gas station right out of texas chainsaw maskers like you know <laughs> being really shitty to them calls one of them a straight up whore i mean they're like it almost ends in a fight bad right? things happen at that cabin but they go they have to go through a big tunnel to get to this because there's a big uh they have to traverse a, a ravine, a huge ravine. The only way through is through this like mountain driven through the mountain tunnel to a house that is literally the Evil Dead Two house. Mm-hmm. Like you Even look they're at out it, there, like you, the like, porch, it's, the everything. It's exactly. Evil Dead. I mean, it is exactly that house. You like you look at it and you're like expected to do the thing with the, the windows or the eyes and it swells <laughs> from Evil Dead Two. Uh, okay. So they're like, okay, we're here to party. We're here to have a good time. Uh, and while they're doing this, it's going back and forth in the office space. And it becomes clear very early on in the film. It's not, this is not a spoiler or a twist Mm-mm. that this office space thing, they are aware of these students that are going out there. They are manipulating these students that are going out there. That everything is, they're watching them. The cabin is filled with cameras. The cameras, the, the cabin is filled with things to affect them. Booby traps, pheromones, yeah. all that kind it's, of shit. It's, yeah. And that in fact, they are making them into, even though they're not when the movie starts out, they're making them into these tropes from horror films. The, the blonde has to get dumber. The jock has to get jockier and more, more of an asshole yeah. and the aggressive. The version of this, yeah. yeah. Exactly. They're all fulfilling these stereotypes in, in horror films. But for them, they're not aware of this. They go, they're just sitting there partying in the basement, the trap door from Evil Dead 2 <laughs> just flies open. <laughs> they're like, oh, they're playing truth or dare. So they dare the virgin girl. Like, you know, I say in quotes because not technically a virgin, but like, go down there. That's your dare. They all go down there and it's filled with uh, ephemera that's creepy as fuck. And I think maybe one of the most amazing scenes of this film, uh, editing wise, is where they're shooting across like all these characters who are all toying with one of the items. Finding, that they're finding something. Here. One will be their doom. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and like the, one of these things is going to be the one to click in what is the thing that's going to come after them. You which all is, make your choice. In fact, a spoiler. Sorry. <laughs> but. Uh, that's an incredibly shot scene, and even so, more so rewatching it. I'm just like, oh wow, this is just uh, 
amazing because you don't know until they bring it up later on that that was in fact highly important and that that is the part of the point is that of course you didn't know we didn't want you to know the characters weren't supposed to know and here is your doom before you before you know it they are being attacked by the chosen doom and all trying to get to figure out their shit while being affected by these things that are being you know the pheromones and what have you that are being pumped in there the film really focuses on two of these characters uh, quite a bit. Kristen Connolly, who plays Dana, uh, who is uh, actually she played the journalist, young journalist character in How- the Netflix version of House of Cards, mm-hmm. uh, you know, which was a pretty big part. And then Franz, Fran Kranz, uh, as Marty, who is the stoner or the survival fool. stoner. Yeah, survival stoner. Exactly. My favorite kind of character. <laughs> I feel like him and, him and Tan Fran from Queer I should have a podcast together. <laughs> uh, I just think this movie is jaw droppingly perfect. I, I re- I've watched this film like eight times and every time I see it, I get stuff out of it I didn't get before. Uh, I, it's attention to detail is startling and it is just a love letter to not just one type of horror but all types of horror that it doesn't even matter i think alan you said earlier it doesn't really matter whether or not you're a big horror nerd and you've seen all this stuff and you recognize the references because that might even make it scarier if you don't (laughs) you know for us we're like oh that's hellraiser that's the ring that's that i was gonna yeah say to like when they are picking out their what will be their doom like i remember the first time watching it and like knowing horror like i do is like uh, i knew exactly what the scene was and like I, the context that's set up is like okay this is all being manipulated in some way if you've seen a bunch of horrors and you're super and super indoctrinated into the world of like horror you know like okay this is the scene this is funny there's like clearly oh here's the ghost thing and here's like this here's the torture one here's the zombie one and you can see them and you can kind of just tell from their iconography of what they're dealing with, of what they like. But if you haven't ever, if you're not in, enriched in the horror thing, the joke is like sort of explained right after that. Really funny through um, Bradley Ripford and Richard Jenkins, like who they wanted them to pick. So it kind of it strikes that balance where it's very much for horror nerds, but it's not like. It's not a gatekeeping thing. No, not or, at all. And that's so not much where it gets so into the minutia of it, where it's not even entertaining to a common audience. It works on both levels. Like, as, like, someone who doesn't mess with horror at all can watch it and I think get a lot of enjoyment out of it. And find it to be a little scary if you're not a horror person. Because there is some good gore and some good jumps oh, in yeah. it. No, I, I would say that, like, like you said, it's not gatekeeping. I would say it's the exact opposite if you are not already a horror fan. It is a gateway to horror because it touches on so many different themes of horror and you're bound to like one of these little bits of it. It's just all so good. You want to go, is that from something? Is that from something? Is that from yes! something? And that being said, I could have said that 27 more times because it really goes into this point when it gets into the third act of like, Jesus Christ, this is literally the entire history of horror movies throughout all of history being represented on screen. And done in a way you never could have seen coming. And in a very sort of, I guess, Lovecraftian sort of way when it comes to the third oh, yeah. act. Even like, yes. and that's like a later reveal of like this other element of horror storytelling. Why this is happening. That isn't in the earlier stuff. Like they're referencing like the creature movies, the slasher movies, the like supernatural horror. But then to wrap it around at the end to be like, 
ancient evil gods of terror horror is like one more element added in. So you mentioned uh, the betting and, and there is a sequence they're all like betting, which the whole crew is like betting, like there's a betting pool, which thing they'll pick. Yes. Uh, so I got a list of everything on, cause there's a whiteboard where they have them all down there and there's more stuff represented in the later scenes than it's on the board, but the complete list of the betting board, and I'm going to go through this real quick, okay. werewolf, alien beast, mutants, race, zombies, reptilius, clowns, witches, sexy witches, demons, hell lord, angry molesting tree, <laughs> obvious evil dead reference, giant snake, uh, uh, Deadites, another Evil Dead reference, Mummy, The Bride, The Scarecrow, Folk, Snowman, Dragon Bat, Vampires, Dismemberment Goblins, Sugar Plum Fairy, love the Sugar Plum Fairy in this. <laughs> uh, Merman, we all want to see the Merman until you don't. <laughs> <laughs> the reanimated unicorn Huron. Still want to know what that is. I think it's a god. A uh, Sasquatch Wendigo Yeti with slashes. <laughs> uh, Wendigo would have been good. Or strokes <laughs> if you were British. Uh, dolls, zombie redneck torture family, which is the one they pick. Uh, the doctors, jack o' lantern, giant twins, and Kevin. See, and this, is, th- this, if you have been on the internet at all in like the last ten years, this became a very popular meme format. So, especially last year and the year before, with COVID and all the crazy shit going on in the world, you definitely saw this meme of you know a a headline and being like, "Who voted on murder hornets? Murder hornets! You got you got <laughs> right, points." Exactly. <laughs> By the way, the, uh, the, the Hell Lord is actually listed in the credits. It, it's definitely a Cenobite, like pinhead. It's listed as Fornicus, Lord of Bondage and Pain, which I Sexy. just totally love. Is the Merman not on the, on, on the list? No, oh, it is. No, it is. It was. Okay. Okay. I was I Merman. Merman. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's a big part of the plot. Yeah, because that's, that's one of the payoffs. It's so great because yeah. you're never expecting it. Bradley yeah. Whitford the whole time is like, damn it. I, I vote for the Merman every time and they never get the Merman. And I just want to see it. a Merman. He had, he had the conk. You know, he had it. <laughs> He's interesting because the guy, one guy's picking it up. But we do eventually see the merman and like he has that sort of blood spouting out of the his back scene from his kill. And apparently (laughs) they went through hundreds of gallons of blood for that scene because they just kept shooting it to make sure they had the right shot for it. Uh And like that scene, apparently Whitford has bitched about it. It's like it went on forever. We took it fifty-seven. This bladder wasn't funny enough yet. So we got to keep going, keep going until it's funny. I couldn't stop laughing at this film. I only have one real problem with this movie. Pray tell. There's a shot early on when they're first driving through the tunnel where you see like a hawk or an eagle or something flying in the air and it hits like a barrier, Mm -hmm. an invisible barrier and disintegrates. This completely ruins an effect later in the film where one of the characters is going to do something super heroic. And you're like, I already know what's going to happen because right. I saw that. I feel like they that might show that in the trailer, too, possibly. They might yeah, show it they hidden, mm-hmm. I think. That yeah, scene is totally unnecessary. And, in fact, like I said, really damages the continuity I, of that ooh, joke. I don't know. I'm back and forth on that because... I, it sets up the joke, too, in a way, right? I know. Yeah. It, it feels like there's just enough time passed where you might forget about the hawk when it happens. And the moment, the moment it happens, you're just like, Oh fuck. Oh yes. The hawk. Bam. <laughs> like it's a fine line. Cause if you don't do the hawk and that happens out of nowhere, it's like, what the fuck is this? Like, even though, you know, it's set up, like that's where the technology is. They have this barrier. So establishing the technology earlier 
It's a that's a hard one. I don't know, I feel like it ruins the joke because like it really does. It, there's everything but the heroic music building when you finally get <laughs> to that scene. We're like, you are should be rooting for this character. Like, yes, they're gonna make it, but you know, as an audience member, they're not going to. And I feel like that scene falls flat because of that. Uh, I don't know. I, I think uh, I remember. I can't know if I remember the first time, but I'm. I feel like it still works for me. Okay, yeah. fair enough. Well, and because I think there is heroic swelling music, and also this being a horror movie, we know all these characters are doomed for the most part. So it's just like I like the telegraph of the joke a little bit of it being like the main hero, the brashing blonde jock is going to do this thing, and we just know he's fucked. Is <laughs> sort of funny on its own. It but been, I, I do hear it would have been funnier if you. Like, because at that point, we're set up where we didn't need that to where if that scene had happened the way it did, you would have been like, well, of course that's there. You know, like it would have been like a big surprise and worth a laugh and all at the same time. But um there is a lot of other notes I want to throw into here. We have three movies to cover this time. So <laughs> because of this. It, this premiered at Buttonomathon in 2011. I was not at it. I've only been to one Buttonomathon ever. It was Buttonumbing is all I'll say about that. <laughs> I think no I've, question. I've been to, th- I, I think I've made it into three all through like the, uh, you used to show up and wait in line. Like, and I think I got lucky either two or three times. I'm having to remember. I don't think it was at this one though. Yeah. See Robert Cargill, who was my roommate at the time and was on spill playing the character of Carlisle. He insisted I go because he was friends with and worked with Harry Knowles. And I was like, okay, but I tell you, I hate the idea of being watching films trapped for 24 hours. Like I love movies. I can watch, you know, four or five movies in a row, but that's where I kind of go. Like, okay, I'm going to bed, like being forced to watch stuff. It was intense. Yeah. Uh, it was like, it's super little too intense. I will say the best experience I had there, not to sidetrack from this, but I don't know if you happen to find yourself going to a 24 hour film festival. <laughs> Don't be afraid to go into the side of the theater and stand up and give a little walk around. Because, like, I was able to go on the side there and I would just, like, stand and watch it. And I would take breaks, go out smoke a cigarette. I was like, no, after a while, the movies to. become less precious. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, it was only those – I can't remember what year it was that Harry got in trouble because he was had a, a sort of, like, not like a full-on shock, like – like cattle, prod? cattle prod but it was like a, a very lesser cattle prod but it gave you a little shock lesser and he was cattle. going around no but it wasn't like an a, a like one you would use to actually shock cattle it's probably like an equivalent of like a static electricity yeah it was like a joke a one but it would give you a real zap and he was going around and zapping people who had fallen asleep and he got a lot of shit over that and it was like yeah dude you can't do, yeah, that. That's you not, can't do that i was yeah. not there for that year yeah i was not there for that year either i was there the v for vendetta year which, oh. yeah, which was, you know, okay. Anyway, uh, there was a tie-in with this. It was set up with the Left 4 Dead 2 video game. It yes! was planned, but ended up being canceled. But if you played that game, a lot of the monsters in the game appear in the third act of this film. Oh, like, wow. straight up. I think the robot one is yes. from there and stuff from that. This is my favorite bit of trivia ephemera from this. So, Fran Kranz, who I think is... Just amazing. I love it. I think he's so funny and talented. So he plays the stoner character here. He's constantly like slumped over and wearing like, you know, ridiculously baggy clothes. He's not interested in doing what everybody else is doing. He just wants to get high and party. Uh, he, there's a scene where they all go swimming. He's the one character is like, why would anyone swim? 
That was not originally in the script part of the thing. He was supposed to go swimming as well. When they cast him, they had no idea he was ripped as fuck. <laughs> Apparently, he was like even bigger than Chris Hemsworth ripped and as fuck. Like at uh, that yeah. point, he made yeah, at that point. At Thor, Thor Chris Hemsworth is probably bigger now, but yeah, they had to rewrite it a little bit to go like, no, we've got to keep him as like this guy. But apparently, he was like, whoa, holy shit, this guy looks amazing. We can't have that. But full credit, Kranz is one of the biggest stars of this film, as far as I'm concerned. Like, he's the guy you're like, oh, I come back for Krantz. He's he's the classic stoner in this. Yeah, and he's, like, kind of a... um, a, He sticks out in the movie, too. Like, he is... he He's, like, probably the most charismatic, or has the most screen presence. Yeah. I mean, Chris Hemsworth, actually, he does, too, but, like, they play with that because they're going to kill him early. And it makes sense because, you know, he's a Australian handsome god man. Yeah. So, like, yeah, it, it makes sense to he kill is. him early. He's, like, the one thing I'm, like, I'm, like, strictly heterosexual, generally speaking. But if Chris Hemsworth showed up tomorrow, I was, like, eh? Yeah, he, he's a like, handsome man for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, but. Yeah, okay. The charisma of, the charisma of, um, what's his name again? Fran? Is it? Fra- Fran Cranz. Fran Cranz. Not Ferdinand. No, that was, a, that was either a band or the Archduke that was assassinated in World War Sorry, II. World War II, so, yeah. yeah. He is definitely the most charismatic. And I love that the character bit, like the, the turn on, like the stoner who never survives. Oh. Although we just did the last episode, Severance with the stoner survives to this one. But the idea is like he's less affected by the drugs and stuff they're pumping in because he's just smoked so Tolerance. much weed. Well, no, they were like, they didn't, there's a thing where they, they say specifically, like we dosed his weed, but he brought weed that like his special secret stash yeah. they didn't know about. <laughs> it's the good and stuff. his whole thing is like, oh, this is a party with my friends, so I'm going to bring the good stuff. Right, right. So he wasn't affected by the drugs they put in it because he he had a secret stash yeah. they didn't know that's about. So funny. So like, and that's just like it's one of the lines around there, and it, like it's not even necessary, but it's this fun little texture in there. Yeah, why he's a little more about his wits about things, and I also love. I want to point out the subtlety. So much so where I've I've watched this movie with people where it's like you kinda kinda have to pay attention at the beginning of this movie. Like you need don't take it for granted, these cliches. These cliches on what they're doing matter. Like his you go into it, especially if you've seen the trailer, thinking these are gonna be all archetypes. Mm-hmm. But that beginning when the virgin, quote unquote girl, is getting like her books and Chris Hemsworth's like, What are you doing with these? Like a lot of people would just like zone out and be like, Oh, it's the jock. But he's like no, this, you don't need this. You want to take this book, like this smart, and then like with the blonde, the joke about like she's pre med, like the, it's la- like the depth to each of these there's, characters. There's like little bitty, I mean, they're just like throwaway lines, or even when they're all like things are going crazy, and it's like it's like we got to stick together, and it's like Chris says no, we I think we just split up, we did, and it's like a real quick joke where he's just like what we should split up, and then like a big scare happens. He's the only guy not affected by the 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 yeah, stuff yeah. they're pumping in. Yeah, 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 and he, he's like. Yeah, that exactly. But the the writing on the character bits before to how they slowly change to when things are going really crazy and the decisions they're making, it's really easy if you're casually watching this to miss some of those little bits. I mean, obviously, you know, they're being controlled by the people in the office environment, but there's little in jokes throughout, like in like little small throwaway lines that are really great. Does anyone know the tie between this movie and Nightmare on Elm Street? Just Pray curious. Tell. Anybody? Anybody? All right. Heather Langenkamp, who played Nancy from Nightmare and Nightmare 3. Okay. Uh, the, the, the protagonist of those films. Uh, her husband is a big FX artist and she ended up training and getting to FX as well. 
And they were one of the prime, they were the two, two of the primary members of the makeup and effects crew on this ah. film. They created themselves a lot of the monster designs in this film and actually made them personally, which is kind of cool. That's, super neat. That's so weird that like there was no, you have had the Heather Langenkamp in a meta horror film. And you're not gonna put her in it anywhere. That was a weird. They had to have asked her. That's a weird choice, but maybe she was just like, I just don't. I don't. I don't want to be on camera. I, I want to be on yeah. effects. I want to be on the squad, not on the scene. Yeah. I get it. I get it. Yeah. One thing with this movie that Alan and I have had very strong opinions on in the past is the um, a unsatisfying, satisfying end to a movie. Full spoilers. Um, this movie, all of these things that are happening are to appease these gods that if we do not appease them, they will destroy the fucking world. And at the end of the movie, we get to that point where shit has not gone the way that the guys who went on this trip planned, the scientists who are trying to, in their own fucked up way, save the world plan. Yep. And the world does in fact end. But for me, it, I feel like it is sort of an unsatisfying ending just with the fact that, oh, yep, this is all over, but there is a satisfaction in that this is the fucking end. There you go, kids. We're all done here. Yeah, I, Drew Goddard is asked constantly and like this point, like, stop asking me. He, he said repeatedly, is there going to be a sequel to Cabin in the Woods? Like, have you seen Cabin in the Woods? The world yeah. It is literally the world ends. Yeah. <laughs> it's know? the best. I... I love, like, the... It's funny, like, how th then, especially, that that point of view is, like, the apathetic nihilism. Yeah. Of, like, yeah, it's not working out. Pre... Well before Trump. Maybe, mm -hmm. like, you know, maybe, like, in, like, COVID, all, what were you become to? Like, this is, like, Obama era, like, things are working out. And, like, everyone's <laughs> feeling pretty good about stuff. Right. But the fact that, like, there's some of the real views, like, no, shit is fucked up enough that it'd be better if everything just ended in one swoop kind of thing is kind of prescient and wild. Like there's a lot of movies with that sentiment. Definitely post Trump. And like, we're going to, I fear for the amount we're going to get post Trump and COVID and where we're at now. Maybe it's Probably easier sometimes to have like, to have that kind of big idea when there's an era that that is, everybody is happy and things are relatively going well for, for everyone. Cause they're not going to um, doom scroll and be doing all that kind of stuff. <laughs> but maybe, maybe if they if it wouldn't have, you know, written the script in three days, they would have been thinking about spinoffs and yeah. all, all, all that kind of stuff. So it's great. They, they just had went for the, the big idea. Normal amount of time. They had like three months to write this. What would have happened? But I, maybe it wouldn't I have been as good. That's the magic in the bottle or lightning in a bottle, right? Like, and this is also pre like aggressive, expansive world building and IP where like everything yeah. has to have some out for another thing. Like it benefits greatly from that. Cause if it was something that like, I find it so exhausting in movies that should be this length and this like tightness where there's like a bunch of like offshoots. It's like, oh, well, if there's a spinoff for our TV show, we got to have this in here. Yeah. And I love that it's just like slim and not dealing with any of that. No, agreed. Uh, also, I want to point out the the daughter of the zombie family, Patience Buckner, was Joelle Furland, who has been in a shit ton of stuff after this. Uh, but I know her best from the sci-fi channel show. 
sadly passed Dark Matter, which I thought was amazing. One of those shows, I thought that show was like almost Firefly quality of like rebels, rogues on a ship uh, that did for three seasons. They got canceled, but she played one of the main characters, number five on there. And uh, yeah, just want to throw that out. Like I'm watching this again. Haven't seen it since I watched that show. And I was going, oh shit, why don't I, I recognize her from more than just this. What is it? It was that. So we, for time's sake, we have to move on. But last things, if anybody has one more thing they needed to say, they were dying to get out. No, okay, we're I good. I covered my shit. No, man, we're uh, good. So we're gonna go ahead. John dies at the end in 2012. This is That's one of the a ones. Lie. <laughs> I was excited. It is in fact a lie. John does not die at the end. He That's dies. Not a spoiler. He John dies, dies approximately like 39 minutes. minutes in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but did he though? I don't know. Uh, this is an adaptation of the writer David Wong, not his real name, but he very well known from crack.com in the days when crack.com <laughs> was one of the funniest sites on the entire internet before they fired everyone and turned into a generic kind of bullshit site. But, uh, that novel, the same name of which there are, I think, two, maybe three sequels? I'm not even sure. I, I think there are at least two books. I've had a couple friends read them and they'll come in. To There's play three, because I think the third one's called, um, What Did I Just Read? <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, and this is loosely connecting with that, but this is one of those things like trying to adapt Naked Lunch. You're like, okay, <laughs> this is like a very surreal experience. We're going to have to take what we do from it. Uh, you know, what you can and make it into a, a narrative. But this is Don Coscarelli who did, you know, one of my favorite horror series of all time, Phantasm. And I've been... I thought you were going to say Beastmaster. <laughs> no, he did, in fact, direct <laughs> yeah. Beastmaster, as well as... Uh, oh, God, what am I missing? What's the other big one he did? Bubba Hotep. Bubba Hotep, yeah, thank you. Yeah, uh, that's, a, that's a good one, too. Amazing. But uh, I've been lucky enough to hang out with him on several occasions and question him about this film. I'll get into that more later. So... How do you adapt this type of comedy absurdist horror, which still reminds me more of Naked Lunch than anything else, in the sense of, like, there's a drug that affects people that's like a black goo, and I'm like, that's right from Naked Lunch. Yeah. You know, totally. But the idea is the main character, named, in fact, David Wong, uh, uh, played by Chase Williamson, uh, is a slacker. Uh, he, we, we see them when it starts off like a, a sort of like a very out of a television horror series thing. Like, oh, we're killing a thing that's made out of meat. <laughs> you know, good old meat killing. Uh, like, oh, these are, these are right out of supernatural, yes. like, like two, not brothers, but brother ish type Home characters. Boys homeboys that like deal with supernatural stuff. And we see that he's meeting in the present day with a, a reporter, Arnie played by Paul Giamatti, which yeah. is startling. Uh, you know, and this is well after Giamatti was a big star to give him the full story of what was going on. So this follows a series of events that are very sort of like post high school college type events of like going to parties, hanging out with people, but people are weird. They take psychedelic drugs. This, I don't even know how to describe the plot for this. No, look, thing. That, that was one of my favorite parts and most frustrating parts of this movie until I understood and figured it out because there are so many bits and pieces to the mechanics of this world that 
it, it does it when you first see them it's like okay i'm sort of following along i'm sort of following along oh no i don't get it at all there wasn't actually an explanation behind this you just kind of have to roll with the bullshit of it and i've had a couple of friends who have read the the novels of that that this movie was made out of and they're like there is slightly more explanation in the novels that carries through but overall it's one of those things where you just have to accept that there is silly bullshit going on and just roll with well, it so ultimately these two friends john is the uh you know the titular john in this character uh, case played by rob mays is you know contacts him uh as dave at his house like this frantic totally crazed phone call you have to come right now you have to come right now so he goes to john's apartment there's a syringe covering with a black drug in there soy sauce yeah <laughs> uh john is like there's a thing don't you see it he's like no i don't know what you're talking about yeah, soy sauce being the drug there. Twitchy, it was given twitchy. to by a character we saw in the flashback, paid by a character named Robert Marley, a black <laughs> character named Robert Marley with dreadlocks. So. Who knows everything. Yeah. Uh, but the idea is that if you inject it, it gives you knowledge of like multiple dimensions and what have you, but it's also potentially deadly. Uh, and as all good things are. <laughs> as they drive off, Dave accidentally stabs himself with a syringe, Oops. which sends him through parallel dimensions. Hello, everything, everywhere, all at once. Uh, but this just gets from here weirder and weirder as they find out that there is a slew of uh, people and personalities that kind of depend on them figuring out this shit in an end of the world type scenario. As well as police officers who are like, I just want to stop these kids no matter what. Oh, yes. Uh, but Clancy Brown is Dr. Albert Marconi, who is like, you know, you, one of those uh, online guys who is like, I am the master of all things supernatural. Like, oh, okay. Chris Angel. (laughs) I think this is a fascinating mess and it is a mess. Yes. There's no question this is a mess, but I've watched it like four times now and every time I see it, I'm just like, I, I'm just kind of in love with the mess that it is. I, I, I love this movie because while, while it is the, a hot little mess, there is the, the flavor of snarky, sarcastic cynicism that you have going on. I just, I absolutely love it is 100% my vibe. This is an excellent fucking movie. You have the blend of, ooh, ghosts and ooh, aliens and not, the same way, but also not unlike Cabin in the Woods. There are so many different themes and elements and genres that they pull into this story that it is just wholly enjoyable. Yeah, I think Coscarelli, too. I mean, if it wasn't for him, this would have gone off the rails, I think, a little bit more. But everybody wanted to be there for him. They loved his films. And he's he has he does a, a good balance between... Um, you know, comedy and horror, I think sometimes. And it's nice that Paul Giamatti and Coscarelli finally got to work together because for years they were trying to get Bubba Nosferatu made. Oh, I and, didn't know that. Yeah. And he was going to be Colonel Tom Parker. I did not know that. Yeah. And, there, cool, and yeah. yeah. And there was also kind of like a, a, a vampire element to it too, where possibly Colonel Tom Parker was going to be a vampire that had control over Elvis. <laughs> so they've been trying to make it for a long time. Even when I was at Fangoria, they were trying to like pro- pro- um, produce it. So it's, so I think, um, once, Giamatti read the script and I think it was actually the Robert Marley character that that entire speech that he does about about dreams and, and uh, multiple realities he's like oh I need to be in this movie I can be the, the and, and play it like I'm in a straight noir movie and everybody else is doing really insane shit around me 
uh, Marconi, the Marconi character, part of the way John discovers him is he has this magic show called Voix la Vérité, which in French means see the truth. And again, one of those small, teeny, tiny movie details that most people would not notice. Uh, vérité, veracity, um, truth in English is that that word in French. They forgot the accents on it. And so my little French speaking <laughs> Ash is like, ah, voilà, vérité. D'accord, okay. In yeah. vino verite. Voix la verite. Yeah, no. Voix la verite. See the truth. Uh, I love that John's full name is John Cheese, according to a package he sends himself. <laughs> and that's a crack.com comedy writer reference who co-wrote the original book. It's like a little nod. But also, John Cheese is a great name to have. I just want to say that. Right? Uh, I, I, you mean like Chris Cox? This is, <laughs> <laughs> I, if I have a problem with this film, it's just that some of the CG in the third act is like very bad, ambitious, <laughs> but bad. Yeah. Just so bad that you're pointing like, oh, wow, this is awful. Oh, no. Whereas the rest of the film is filled with good practical effects. The CG in the third act is like, wow, your ambition is huge for this film of where it's going to go. Because <laughs> it does like multiple dimensions and hell and what have you. You're like, this looks terrible. Well, that's that's my problem with this movie not just the cg but just the the ambition the overarching like there's just so many ideas here like so many too many like and an excess as a criticism like there are too many ideas and a lot of them are good ideas it's like very partially fudged out. like the most minimum like the, like the idea of it being confusing and hard to follow yeah he's not new to this like no phantasm <laughs> It's kind of hard to follow. There's a charm and there's like a landing in a ball of quality to that movie where like, fuck, they caught something that is genuinely like creepy and weird. And what you don't understand about it, this adds to the um, allure of it. And this movie, what you don't understand about it is frustrating because it's like we were talking about Cabin in the Woods, how it is a kind of a gate opening. Like this one's like, yeah, you enjoy it. Just read this book and this book and this book afterwards and follow this fan read them. And like, it's like not welcoming at all. And it's not purposeful i think he's just um he's a victim of his own imagination and a lot of his movies Bubba hotep suffers from this a little bit but that's one of his most leanest premises where it's like yeah there's a mummy it's a nursing home this guy's elvis written this guy's by Jay joe <laughs> the, the classic uh, texas writer joe lansdale and yeah friend of the podcast and so. there's there's a the thing they were like that that's why i love Bubba hotep it's like one of his most coherent movies and it's still bonkers and has that energy you want from him but like I struggle with this movie, it, and I think it really suffers from its era. If this was made pre CGI, where they couldn't do that and they were truly you limited, more forgiving, but yeah, there was a way. Like I think the story would have gotten smaller and a little more focused, and there could have been it could have had that phantasm feel. Well, because there's like the idea of CGI, we can go a little bigger. Maybe we can make this work. The ideas get a little bit bigger. They get, and I think it does kind of go off the rails. Like the movie, there's like like that sequence you were talking about that Paul Giamatti like read and I like, wanted to be in it. No question. That's like a good, it's good writing, especially for this type of movie. There's tons of bits of like clever ideas, good writing, great setups. And the, the idea, like this, him talking to his dead friend on the phone throughout it's the very, messages through time. It's very yeah. funny. It's very good. It's well executed. Even it was like, it doesn't matter. Pick up that banana. Or like, you know, it's like, it. and, and like all that stuff. So like good. They, they should have found a way to do that third act that didn't require the cg stuff like do it and even go even more abstract 
to to tell that same story, which I I've not read the book. I, I don't know if any. I've not read have. any of the books. I've been I've informed. Al- always wanted to, but I have not. I, I hear they're great, but like we go like. You know, you don't always have to tell exactly the story. Maybe you should like find a way to do it that fits what budget you have and reinvent it the and make it clever for have. that. I I do have the same problems you do with the third act, but I think this movie is so inhan- just intensely clever and fun. And I want to say as well, when I first time I met Don Coscarelli, I went, "So, your Phantasm films are about two brothers." that fight evil by driving around in a black muscle car. The <laughs> trunk is filled with like supernatural, supernatural! weapons. Same this feels like just did supernatural just totally rip you off. He's like, here's the thing. <laughs> when supernatural came out, I went, uh, this is just phantasm, like, or at least more specifically phantasm too. And I went, Hey, I'm so glad you guys are friends. I sent him a message. I'm so glad you guys are fans of this. I would love to come in and do something with Supernatural, and they never returned any of my messages. Fuck and I, that! And at that point, I was like, fuck them. John Dies at the End has a lot of fuck you Supernatural jokes in it, because he was pissed off that they just <laughs> never returned his calls. Yeah, at least have him direct an episode. Yeah, that's all he wanted. That's mm-hmm. all he asked for. He's like, I just want to come in and direct an episode, you this know? This is so clearly my content. Could you just, perhaps I would love to. It would yeah. be very kind if you tributed your con, your, your, what you're ripping. I mean, there's fucking, fif- like fucking 15 Harry seasons. Potter, yeah. You couldn't get Don Coscarelli for one fucking episode. Yeah. With that many seasons, they, they, they could have thrown him at least one episode. Yeah. Maybe they were afraid. It's like, oh, if he comes in here, all of a sudden we're doing a seven part miniseries and our <laughs> budget's going to expand. Like, like, cause that dude, his his imagination is expanding. Okay, but yeah. there's 15 seasons of Supernatural. Tumblr started existing in 2003, which is when T- Supernatural started getting good because they had a source to be like, oh, this is what fans want. And so they had 12 fucking seasons after that. And mind, I do love this show. I am, I am still trying to finish fan. it. Huge um, fan. but th- they had ample opportunity and after the first three years, ample budget that there is no reason they did not. It's like, been like, a hard, other than it's definitely been a hard road for, for Coscarelli, but he, he has that, that indie spirit. And I think that's why, um, he made five Phantasm movies because he's always kind of setting up the next movie. And that's one of the problems with John dies at the end where they they already have the books. He's probably already thinking, let's we do two, let's do three. Yeah. There's actually keep working in this film. There's a scene where the last Phantasm movie, I forget what it's called. Ravager. Know? Ravager. There's a copy of it, like sitting on somebody's shelf. That movie didn't come out till like 10 years after this or something. It was like way, way after, but they, he'd been trying to get it made forever. And it was a little like, Come on, guys, give me my last Phantasm. Which, to be fair, is the only Phantasm movie I don't like. Yeah, but, I, I haven't watched Past Part 2. No, 3 is great, too. But after that, it gets a little... Yeah. Anyway, we got to move on for time's sake here. And we're going to move on to Lovin' Monsters. So oh, cute. Almost up to current day, 2020's Lovin' Monsters, directed by Michael Matthews, who's a South African director, who got a lot of notice in 2017 for his film Five Fingers from Marseille, at, that played at TIFF. I've not I seen. I still it. haven't seen it. I looks. I watched. I remember when the trailer came out. I was like, "God damn, this movie looks but sick." I remember when this came out, going, and this is like right in the middle of COVID. So I saw a digital screener, and I was like, 
wow, I love this charming little fun sort of like zombie yes. land, but with more of a heart and less of the absurd goofiness. Uh, but I was like, who's involved? And <laughs> I was, uh, this was written by Brian Duffield, who was the director of another film that came out at, co- uh, during COVID. A wonderful horror comedy called Spontaneous. Have not seen. So few people have seen, but oh my god, it's amazing! It's so great. You just reminded me of it. I remember that being on my like short list of like to watch. Oh, it's great! And he also did Underwater. Oh wait, is that the one with um with uh, Kristen Stewart? Yeah, that is like and the Babysitter. Yeah, I enjoy uh I enjoy Underwater. That's a um like one of the good like alien ripoffs. I think it was like February, like Dumpyberry movie like and one of those gems every february like you know all the studios you get the dump dump shit. Yeah, yeah. but there's always like one in there it's like this is actually good no january and february are a high point for horror much more so than october when they like the big studios go this is one of releasing our crappy horror films yeah. that have an ip that we own january and february is when all the cool little indie stuff comes out yeah. you're like oh wow this that is underwater so movie yeah that's a fun movie uh but the, uh, co-written by matthew robinson who did a film i liked uh the invention of lying but also films like Dora and the Lost City and Monster Trucks and is writing the upcoming Up Rogue Squadron. I don't know. Um, this film was nominated for Best Visual Effects Oscar, but it lost for Tenant. But the visual effects are really, really good in here. And I thought this was interesting. There's a young actress in here who plays a character named Minnow, who is playing a, char- uh, a character called Tiny Tiny Tina in the upcoming <laughs> Borderlands mo- movie live action film that's coming out. And she also played the young version of uh, Gamera in Avengers Infinity War. Yes. Yeah. But like, wow, that's Gamora. super yeah, no, cool. Super but this is just a charming as fuck movie about the end of the world, which you don't get a lot of those. Yeah, it's uh, just a classic coming of age yeah, it's a Bildungsroman, yeah. no question, yeah. about, like, a, a guy who's, like, just hadn't figured his shit out, because, like, right at that point, he's starting to figure his shit out, and an asteroid hits the Earth, the, everybody sends their nuclear weapons up to hit it, and, and unfortunately, it, all the chemical fallout falls back to Earth, doesn't affect humans, except in the way that affects every cold-blooded creature on Earth, which yep. turns the giant mutated monsters, which kill, like, 95% of humanity, everybody goes underground, this lead character of uh, Joel, played by, uh, you know, like very likable character, a young character actor, Dylan O'Brien, is like stuck in a underground bunker with a bunch of people who he genuinely considers to be friends and family. But the problem is he's the young one and the rest of them. He makes soup. Yeah, he's the cook. <laughs> and the rest, he makes minestrone. He's very good at that. Yeah. And the rest of them are just hooking up all the time. Yeah. And the re- like, Everyone else is booed up. Yeah. My guy is lonely and, uh, by himself. He like loves that. a girl across miles and miles of monsters. Yeah, played by the wonderful Jessica Henwick, who uh, was one of the only good things from Iron Fist. <laughs> playing her role on I there. Never watched. No, she's one of the only good things out of it. And then oh, I forget what it was. Just recently, she was in something that was she was really. Oh God, damn it! It was just on the tip of my tongue, but she was just in something good. Anyway, doesn't matter. She's like they, we see them as high school kids, and they're like, "Oh, I love you so much. I love you so much." Oh shit, the world's ending. Okay, maybe we can find each other. They do kind of, but only through like ham radio. It's like, oh, they're so far. It might as well be a million. 80 miles. It's 80 (laughs) miles. Might as well be a million miles away because there are giant monsters fucking everywhere that kill people. Well, Dylan O'Brien's character reaches this point where he's like, you know what? Fuck this. They're all like, 
the people who genuinely love him like family are like, you can't do this, dude. You are like the dude who the moment like trauma pops up, like with monsters, you freeze and can't do anything. You, you're the guy we protect. He's like, no, 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 no. I have to do this. I'm going to go out and I'm gonna, I'm gonna walk across the earth and I'm gonna fucking get the girl and get the girl. So we see like a, his experiences as he goes through this and slowly just kind of grows up. And a lot of this is the lucky fucking guy meets some survivors along the way. Michael Rooker is Clyde. Badass character. Badass character. And the previously uh, mentioned Minnow, little girl that he has with him there, that kind of teach him the basics of survival as he makes his way across here. And even when he eventually gets to his destination, spoiler, it there's a whole nother level of like, as there are in Apocalypse films often, it's not the monsters that are the problem, it's the humans that are the problem. Yeah, that, was, that was one of my favorite points in this movie. Again, full spoiler. So you have... Is it Dan Ewing who plays Captain Dashing Blonde, Sexy Musly, Boat Captain Man? But the the point at what he's talking about, hey, you know, we have this yacht, land is not safe anymore, but we're gonna go out to sea. But up to this point, we have that emphasis on the radiation has affected cold-blooded creatures and the first thing that popped in my head was so you're trying to tell me there's no fucking sea monsters <laughs> well let me tell you what there's fucking sea monsters water did not protect them from radiation and that's where things start to go more wrong than they have up to until this point so i'm curious because i have talked to maybe a handful of people that have even seen this film uh, it was because of the fact that it came out during COVID. So few people got to see it. It would have been a wide theater release. It was nominated for an Oscar for effects. It's the top effects quality were on that level. I found this charming as fuck, but I have no idea. Like, obviously, uh, <laughs> the Mads has given me the, I like this too, but I, I, I don't know from Alan and Drew how you felt yeah, about I, it. I had it, I had it on a list for a long time to watch, and then I finally watched it on a plane. You know, and which is obviously the the totally wrong way yeah. to watch this. The only way you film. can worse it, watch it worse is on your cell phone. Yeah, That's how I watch or, Rush or, Hour. Watch. The I'm, I'm really glad I rewatched it though too on a bigger <laughs> screen and actually at home. Um, but I would have loved to have seen it in the theater. And I I really like Dylan O'Brien too. I always have, even with Maze Runner mm-hmm. and yeah. those films. Maze that, Runner, yeah, he's one of the standouts. I love series, uh, yeah. Maze Runner. Is like I don't know why I watched that movie. Like of all like the YA garbage, and it's not like incredible, but like the action in it's really good. And he's a very good lead in that oh he's, yeah he's but, yeah, so no. yeah he's, he's really good maze runner is from my generation of shit because of that that book came out while i was in middle school <laughs> um and so having that movie you come were out, a ya yeah exactly <laughs> I, I, I was that shitty ya group and <laughs> and it was one of those books that i that was so popular at the time along with like shit like twilight i was very much one of those kids where Everybody was so interested and into it that I was like, I don't give a fuck. I don't want to know anything about it. But now, like how I'm handling Game of Thrones, I'm watching that too right (laughs) now. I am going back to these things from me growing up and being like, okay, that was actually some good shit. And I can tolerate and appreciate it now because it's not the hot word on the street. It's not, I'm not tired of it because everybody's brother and sister is talking about it anymore. And that movie really does that. That movie and this movie really lives on the back of, uh, what's his name? Dylan O'Brien. Yeah. His like 
charisma and his like screen presence, which is good. He's so likable. He's so likable. And I don't know if he's like a fill in for any leading, leading man character, but like for those two movies, this one especially, it goes a long way. Cause this movie, I had a friend text me. He's like, you should check this out during the pandemic. It's pretty good. And I looked, he's like, Oh, I got to pay this much money to rent it. Eh, I don't know. I'm working through these other stuff and I just kind of forgot about it. Sure. And then when we put it on this list, I was like, Oh yes, a friend suggested this and I was excited to watch it. And it's, it's one of the movies like, I don't like, I'm not like, holy shit, everyone should go see this movie. Yeah. It was a but, good movie, though. But it's a good movie. It's a it's, good it's charmer. A, it's, it's a family friendly apocalypse horror movie. It comedy. is. It, yeah. It's PG 13. And when it comes to pretty much any movie, especially with my age group, I typically identify and can relate a lot more with an awkward in his mid-twenties character than I can with a female mid-twenties character for the way that most portrayal goes. And so I really appreciate the, just this this balance of, I am super awkward, but I also have some really good jokes, and hey, man, we're gonna fucking get this done. Yep. This was just a really good movie. And it wasn't um, one of the movies that we've talked about before also, uh, w- or that, that had Chris Hemsworth in it. I don't remember what it was called. It was an apocalypse movie, but I was like, this was really PG-13. I didn't get to see children die. Oh, no, but that was... But with this um... one, it was PG-13 in a way that it, oh, it didn't man. matter. Everything that happened was exactly right. The special effects were so fantastic. Just getting... A lot of the times I talk about eye candy in a movie, and it just means it was really pleasing to look at. The monsters in this movie were so fun to look at and explore, and it made me want more. I wanted, like, a spiderwick tome of the monsters (laughs) in this book, which they do create, and, like, how to survive the monsters and information about them. that's part of the plot. It's like, this is the story of the guy that, like, a hundred years after this will be a legend. The spiderwick! You know, the guy who, like, (laughs) made the process in which everyone survives this and moves on. Drew, uh, what, uh, did you like this? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, it's a a classic hero's journey, right? I mean, it's an an adventure film, but I think the whole reason to watch it is, is... Dylan O'Brien, I think, is definitely good, but um, it's the it's the creature designs, and you rarely get to see like a Hollywood film or the, what potentially would have been a summer blockbuster mm-hmm. that's actually doing designs like this and doing creature work like this, and having the budget to really deliver in those CGI sequences. This because the, the effects really are uh, incredible in it, and I, I also love. You mentioned Michael Rooker earlier, and he's he kind of comes in at just the right time in the the hero's journey. Yeah. Uh, and I, it's just nice to see him in a post-apocalyptic setting where he's not a complete dick. You yeah. know, and yeah. he's like, he's, he's, he's really, you know, uh, the complete opposite of like Merle Dixon in this. Right. And he's, he's actually like a, this, this great mentor for him. And I, I could have seen him, you know, uh, be in the movie a little bit further. His but. gruff is the same. He just ultimately is a good guy as opposed to well, a bad just, guy. Even yeah. with this characterization past like good or bad, his like, um, it's, I haven't seen him be this like kind of quiet or more uh, much of a person. He, I get the characters he's played lately have been really broad or big in a lot of ways. Right. And in this one, he's playing like, I mean, he's definitely like a heightened character just from the circumstances of the world, but he has a little more like nuance and subtlety in his performance and who he is. And uh, as his father figure to like his travel companion, it's fun to see him do that, which you don't get to see him do often, especially not lately. He's usually like, a fucking weirdo in most movies because he's kind of a weirdo in real life but to, yeah. to, to be the softer side and like more grounded weirdo in, in this heightened world was uh, really cool also, you can always tell in the eyes there, there is a dog in this movie yes! named Boy, Boy! 
And I want to <laughs> tell you guys who worry, because I know there's a lot of people like, I won't watch a horror movie if a dog dies. The dog does not die. No, I'm dog kicks ass. The dog is amazing, and you love him, and you're going to name your new dog boy after boy. watching this. Because you're like, oh, good boy. Boy kicks ass. Boy is amazing. That's the thing, is this film is more after charm than anything else and yes it is a pg-13 horror film it is definitely intended for a wider audience it is not gory even in the slightest bit look at the title of it love and monsters that's really all you need to know it is true to the name but that's the thing is like i like that in that third act when they deal with the idea of somebody traveling across the world like or at least (laughs) you know for him the world 80 miles might as well be like the whole world in this situation for love when they get to that point and things are not how he expects them to be it is dealt with in such a mature, intelligent, yes. like really sensitive way that I'm like, that's that moment that I'm like, this film went from like this is kind of fun to like, oh wow, this is really smart. Uh, yeah, you know, it, it went from it, because it's the situation of I came all this fucking way because I love you, and she's like, I didn't actually <laughs> think you would come all of this way, and there's a lot of shit going on. I've lost somebody, and he's just like, well, fuck. Okay, let me keep moving on here. He's really yeah. respectful. There's no creepiness. There's no clinginess. He's just like, I am hurt, but I understand and let me continue with my life. And I love that he continues his life and is like, I'm still a badass. <laughs> he went from being like the, the nerd who's just like hiding in the corner to like the guy who's like, I'm Let's good at figuring out shit. I mean, like, I love that there's a point where he's fighting a giant crab. Yes. And the weapon he fights is basically a, a literal, like, thing you use to eat crab with. <laughs> <laughs> Just a giant version of it that happens to be, like, this trident. I'm like, I love this so yeah. much. Beautiful. When you can survive and fight monsters, and then but you don't really become an adult until you get your heart broken. Yeah, That's right. exactly. That's yeah, this yeah, it's is... It's a sweet movie. It's charming. I think we all like this as well. I think overall... We liked most of the movies that were... Yeah! Yeah, I laughed at all of these. The hardest to watch was Blood Diner, but there was not (laughs) a single movie in this group that I was not like, this had some really good, funny fucking shit in it. It was comedy horror 100%. Yeah, I would say I have a real love-hate relationship with Blood Diner, where I feel like I will be revisiting it over the years. And being like, every time I watch it, be like, God damn, this movie's ah! annoying. But then like three years later, watching it again. Um, yes. And then I would say from this episode, John Dies at the End is probably my least favorite. Because I think it's uh-huh. just the least successful. Like, we talked about like Cabin of the Woods, where it's like this great idea. It's really intricate. like, And it's so well executed. And movies don't always have to be well executed to be good um, or enjoyable. But I think the execution of John Dies at the End is just so disjointed that it really hinders my enjoyment of it but other than that i think our slate our last couple episodes in this one is all very i mean cabin in the woods is hand down the best ones on this uh, on this list for no, me. I, society I, has a society I, I second you, yeah i think you touch on something really important though alan because i this is something i've been thinking about over the last couple of weeks is that in my opinion there is a difference between a good movie an enjoyable movie, and a well-made movie. And most of the time, I would argue that a well-made movie is partially a good movie and partially an enjoyable movie. Those two things go together. (laughs) 
But I would also argue, kind of off to the side, that a well-made movie, that you can have the budget, you can have the actors, you can have the budget for the CGI, but I think that you can still have a movie that has quality components and it's still not be a good fucking oh. movie. But well, I yeah. think those th- three things, especially when it comes to horror, need to be separated. Mads, we're on a horror podcast. <laughs> we all understand that your movie can have almost everything about it be trash and still be a masterpiece. Absolutely. <laughs> 100%. It's, we get that. Yeah. And, 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 ten- and especially when you get in the horror, like, the intention. It's part of the, the, the harp on John dies at the end so hard again. But like, <laughs> With Phantasm, like in it and with John Dazen, you can feel like the passion for the material in both. Yeah. Made by the filmmakers. And so much of what makes cult classics cult classics is not so much about its execution, but at the passion in which they're trying to execute their vision. And that is what's so alluring about it. And I, I think it really, it, you see less and less of it in today's era. Some about modern filmmaking, maybe it's digital, maybe it's because of the presence of CGI gives something, it gives everything less weight. But when it's something like Phantasm, that passion is you can feel it. There's a weight to it on screen. Yeah. And it's something that John dies at the end when it's a CGI and it's like they can shoot a bunch more because it's digital film. It's just like it feels a lot it feels lifeless comparison. It's hard to Only feel that in the third act. Only in the third act. Though. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. I mean it, it's a movie that gets weaker as it goes along because the vision gets bigger and they don't quite have the resources to keep up with that vision. Yeah. Yeah. I mean like full credit to like we really want to tell this story and we'll do it through any means possible, which in the old days would have meant crappy practical. Yeah. Which we're more forgiving of, I would say. At Doctor Who original. Yeah, I, I would say we're more forgiving of crappy practical than we are uh, crappy CG, but that 100%. might be just like the passage of time and when we were uh, gotten to horror. But Drew, uh, what do you, what's your favorite out of this list? I mean, I think John Dies at the End is probably the most interesting. It's got the most interesting ideas out of it. But yeah, I mean, Cabin in the Woods is, is, is by far the, the one that it's just that lightning in a bottle, uh, type movie where it, it shouldn't work as well as it does, but it's Gateway. just kind of a perfect movie. And it just, it keeps, you know, it, when it gets, starts getting bigger and bigger, it succeeds on all those levels. It starts just at a very small cabin, almost the smallest space you can think of and starts to get a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger. And then suddenly you're dealing with vastness horror, oh, you know, and, and it, it gets, it gets really massive. But it, but it knows when to cut it off and it knows what to show and what not to show and it does it like masterfully. I just, I still, I know people, I'm far from the first person to see it, but like, Goddard, just make the short film about what was going on in Japan. Yes, please, with the floating ghost girl, the <laughs> fucking grudge, just yes. Make, make a 20-minute short film about that story. <laughs> I want to see it. I know we'll be like, yeah, we've all seen this before. Little girls but exercise evil spirits successfully. It's adorable. I want to see a Miyazaki version of The <laughs> Ring. I just, like, I don't know. That, uh, what I want to see. Anyway, that is the end of our comedy horror series. I'm sure we'll come back into a comedy horror again at some point, because there's just so, so much funny choices. shit in the world. I don't know what's next. It won't be comedy horror part two, but uh, we'll let you know when we know. In fact, I'm going to make a point of putting these guys like uh, nose to the grindstone right after we've this, got a list. Done recording, kids. Going, like we're going to talk about what are we doing next? What's okay. next? I don't know. But thank you for listening to Liberations of Doom. Please like, subscribe, all those things that people say on the internet. It really does make a difference if you share this stuff and talk about why you like it. It makes a huge, huge difference if you do that. Thank you. If you saw us talking about one of these films and you happen to be friends with one of the people who were involved with the making of it, send them a link to it because maybe they'll cross post it and that would be cool as shit. 
We're you're 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 sexy. We love you. Please subscribe. <laughs> oh, oh, you meant the subscribers. I'm sorry. I was like, what's happening right now? I mean, you too, Chris. But really. Oh, so nice of you to say. <laughs>